2: Dominic Carter, Red Apple Podcast, 77 WABC, Police Have an Enormously Difficult Job. And for a first-hand perspective, joining us for the podcast is a retired NYPD detective and now psychologist, Dr. Tom Coglin. He is the owner of Blue Line Psychological Services now in private practice, psychotherapy for law enforcement and other first responders. His credentials are impressive. Tom Coglin also works with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, as a first responder psychologist, Homeland Security, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the NYPD-affiliated peer support program. He will be honored in October, but I'll come back to that. Thank you Dr. Coglin for joining us for the podcast.
1: Dominic, thank you for having me. It's great to be
2: here. Well, you do remarkable work and you really are a hero on the front line. The first part of your career as an officer And then in psychological services within NYPD and now still giving back in private practice. I want to begin with what has been in the news as of late dominating the headlines. I don't understand the mentality, the psychology Of This young lady in Harlem, you know about the incident. We all do. The female 19 year old where she pushed and apparently slapped the officer. And then it was very tragic. But the officer not realizing what was going on around him. He hit her. She fell, hit the pavement. But talk to me if you will, Tom Coglin, about the psychology as someone that's been on the job where people think some people think they can interfere with law enforcement and with the NYPD.
1: Thank you so much, Dominic. You know, let's go back to the word you used and you repeated twice to talk about police work. Impossible. Right. The work is nearly impossible. And I think one of the things that people lose sight of is that Law enforcement is never pretty. Police work is never pretty. Even proper application of the use of force, good, justified use of force, good police work, it is never pretty to go out and enforce the law and do police work. But in the age of body cameras and the age of increased scrutiny, on police officers in the age of cell phone cameras, we have much more of a window into the world of that unpretty work. And so just because the work looks not pretty doesn't mean it's not good, justifiable use of force. And for many years, I would suggest we can go back into the history of this, but for many years there has been a growing sense that interfering with police work has some just cause to it, that people have some right to interfere with police doing police work, obstructing governmental administration, resisting arrest, engaging in disorderly conduct with the police while they're trying to effect arrest. In fact, if we go to both sides of the aisle and we go back to the words of Mayor de Blasio in 2014, when we go back to Mayor de Blasio, perhaps one of the most progressive mayors we've had in many, many years, the words of Mayor de Blasio is that when a police officer comes to the decision, that is, they've established probable cause, that it is time to arrest someone, that individual is obligated to submit to arrest. And then he went on to say, every New Yorker should agree to do what they need to do as a citizen and respect the officer and follow their guidance. And That was followed up by City Council Member Jumaane Williams, who said, follow the orders of the police. Do not resist what they are asking you to do and follow their orders, right? And so we have on both sides of the aisle quite the word out there that what you must do in these situations is not obstruct governmental administration, not resist arrest, not interfere with police trying to effect a lawful arrest. And if there is an issue with poor police work or bad police work or unjustifiable arrest, well, then you deal with the due process that the court system affords you, right? But there has become an increasing culture in our society of pushing to advocate for the resisting of arrest, pushing to interfere with police work. There is no scenario where it's justified to do it.
2: Agreed a a thousand percent. And this was a very tough lesson for this young lady to have undergone. And by the way, I should point out that you will be honored in October, but I will come back to that in just a second. We are chatting with someone that is the real deal. Tom Coglin, Dr. Tom Coglin, retired NYPD. He owns Blue Line Psychological Services now in private practice. Psychotherapy for law enforcement, other first responders from FEMA to Homeland Security to the DEA to NYPD so I guess I want to go to a much broader question dr. Coglin what is the state of mental health in policing today and why
1: Dominic Unfortunately, and I wish I had a better answer. I wish I had a more positive answer. The state of mental health and policing today is poor, and the reason it is poor is that when we look at when we look at reciprocity right it's the rare person who goes into police work because they have aspirations to become rich or become wildly successful in that kind of material way in the world most people go most people go into policing because they have a sense of wanting to be part of the better side of society they want to be one of the good guys in recent years there's become a lack of reciprocity in that experience cops are not experiencing a return on investment for the work they're putting into Their job they're not getting there's a lack of reciprocity from their agency there's a lack of reciprocity from the community and eventually what that leads to over years it leads to burnout it leads to this experience of becoming burned out in doing the job you become apathetic to the work you become indifferent to the work potentially you develop what we call compassion fatigue over the years where you just lose a sense of empathy for the people who need you most And this idea of a lack of reciprocity, it truly eats away at our police officers and our agents and our troopers out there in the street. And until we can turn around, until we can change the culture, not only in society, but also within police organizations, within agencies, where there is greater reciprocity for our officers and they feel as if they are valued, that their work means something, and that they're going to work to be part of a good system until I mean, we do away with things like these no cash bail reforms, et cetera, et cetera, these other policies that lack of reciprocity will just remain. Right. And so we need our offices to feel supported. We need them to believe that what they're doing matters and we need a sense of reciprocity from both the communities and from their organizations.
2: Talk to me a bit further about you just alluded to it about the solution More of the solution, because right now what we're dealing with, Tom Coughlin, are police officers that feel that the politicians just don't have their back and there's qualified immunity. I mean, it almost seems like almost everything that could go wrong is going wrong for police officers on the front line, putting their life on the line each and every day.
1: And Dominic, I'll tell you, it's not only our local police officers. I work with law enforcement at the local, at the state, At the federal level. And what I can tell you is that this experience, this experience of burnout, this sense of lack of reciprocity, it has spread, it has permeated throughout the field of law enforcement, not only local policing, state level policing, federal agencies. I work in my practice with law enforcement from all levels of government, civilian and uniform employees. And I can tell you that this experience, this sense of distress, this sense of despair, That's running through our our offices. We have officers retiring in droves. It used to be my grandfather was on the job from 1938 to 1972, 34 years, and his son was on the job as well. And it used to be that when you came on the job, you stayed on the job. The mentality now is 20 and out. Let me do my time and let me get out. And the more and more I find is that the officers that I'm working with in therapy, who were around, say, 14, 15, 16 years on, they are emotionally and mentally limping to the finish line, just trying with a sense of desperation to make it to that time so they can get out. That was never the mentality in the past. It is the mentality now, because there is a true sense of despair among law enforcement today.
2: Talk to me. Dr. Coglin, and you have all the credentials. You've actually worked in the apartment, mental health department, screening officers in terms of mental health issues. So you've been on the front line. Talk to me, to us, about police suicides. It's a story that I've covered a very long time, and it breaks my heart every time when I think about the fact that an officer, he or she may feel that there are no other choice. And they decide for personal problems, professional problems. They decide to take their own lives. It seems like we're dealing with more and more increased police suicides.
1: Dominic, every single one breaks my heart. And it's a topic that I even I have a difficult time talking about because every single one breaks my heart to fully discuss police suicide. We could discuss this literally for days on end in workshops but to to bring it together concisely when we look at suicide we have three primary factors right we have a sense of helplessness meaning that I am unable I have no ability to change my situation we have a sense of hopelessness which means that today is as good as it will ever be and today is really bad tomorrow will only ever be worse and we have a sense of unbearable emotional pain I can no longer do this when we put the those three pieces together, that sense of psychic, that unbearable emotional pain, that sense of hopelessness, that sense of helplessness, when we put those three things together, and then we pour on top of that ready access to a firearm and a culture, unfortunately, a culture in law enforcement that has not moved away, it's moving away, but has not fully moved away from Self-medication with alcohol and acceptance of alcohol abuse within the culture and a stigma against mental health and a stigma against reaching out and getting mental health treatment. When you put those things together in a pot, suicide almost, almost becomes an inevitability at times. I am so happy that since 2019, the numbers have begun to come down, but we haven't beaten it yet. Right, and I, And I believe, if you would ask me to define what is the crux of the matter, I believe that really the linchpin here is organizational culture. And I could tell you stories about things I've seen and things I've heard within the agency, but what I can tell you is that There are two different sides of the messaging that goes on in law enforcement organizations. There is one side of messaging from the top down that says it's okay to not be okay, we want you to reach out, we want you to ask for help, we want you to make use of all these agency services that, that that we're making available to you. And then there's another side where in reality there is unfortunately, there are unfortunately consequences, career consequences at times, for doing just that. And so until we bring those two messages together and find a happy compromise where there are no longer consequences whatsoever to reaching out for mental health help and getting the treatment that people need when they feel hopeless, when they feel helpless, when they're in unbearable pain, until organizational cultures change and the agency culture changes, we've done good work. We have great legislation out there that's supporting law enforcement suicide uh, prevention measures. There's a lot more work to be done.
2: We are talking with Dr. Tom Coglin, the owner of Blue Line Psychological Services. He's worked from uh, federal agencies and first responders to NYPD for many years. He's retired NYPD himself. The work that you do, Dr. Coughlin, is is so positive and so helpful. There's an event coming up on October 23rd where you will be honored at St. Francis Preparatory uh, High School, a first responder memorial scholarship fund event. Tell me about that.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity, Dominic. Yes, I am extremely honored, uh, humbled, to announce that on October 23rd uh, of this year, myself and two other alumni of St. Francis Preparatory School will be honored at a 5K run and walk as well as a mass and a scholarship event. It's in memory of the First Responders Memorial Scholarship Fund at St. Francis Prep where they identify alumni from the high school who have gone on into the field of first responder work and left their mark sort of on that world. It'll be myself. It will be a retired—it'll be an alum from the fire department and an alum who was a U.S. Navy commander for many years. And the three of us will be honored at this memorial scholarship event. It's a 5K-run walk at St. Francis Prep on October 23rd. Very, very excited to be there, very honored. And and I tell you, any success that I've had, I absolutely attribute— to the amazing, really wonderful education that I received at St. Francis Prep during my times there from 84 to 88. And I'm just, uh, my father was a graduate class of 58. I followed in his steps and graduated in 88. My daughter followed my steps and graduated there in 21. And I am just so honored and and humbled to be there. And anybody who wanted to participate or or contribute, they can go online to sfponline.org or go to the SFP site at First Responders Memorial Scholarship Fund and get all the information there if they wanted to participate
2: well-deserved honor for what you do the first thing that i noticed in your office is that it's a very private area and i guess it has to be that way for when you're counseling or talking to a law enforcement officer and then i noticed the family photos in which i believe and i think you just said this i believe your grandfather was a new york city police officer i believe your dad and then yourself is that accurate
1: It was my grandfather, Patrick Fish, and then his son, my uncle, Franklin Fish, and then myself.
2: And then yourself. Yes. And how has the job changed over time? And talk to me for a second about you worked in psychological services in NYPD. What was that like?
1: You know, it was a wonderful experience. When I graduated When I graduated with my doctorate in 2010, I was working toward my licensure hours. I went to work internally in psychological evaluations, which is the psychological side of the NYPD that does in-service evaluations, not candidate screening, but evaluation of cops who are actively on the job and are having some mental health need. I learned a lot in that position. And one of the reasons that ultimately I retired and went into private practice is that one of the things I learned was that I can do more good from here in private practice than I found that I could do working internally in the department. And that's not, I really don't have much of an invested effort and reason to to sort of bash on internal services. You know, they work for the best interest of the department in the city. But when you're working in psychological services in the department, your client is the police department. Your client is not the cop sitting in the chair in front of you. And so... The best interest you have to keep in mind is the best interest of the police department, not the best interest of the cop sitting in the chair. Working in private practice allows me to keep the best interest of my client, the cop sitting on the couch, as priority. And I found that I could do so much more good here than I could have done there. And although retirement was a difficult choice, I found that I can do more good here than than I could have done there.
2: How does it make you feel... Because you have photos of your grandfather in your office that he was on the job.
1: Yes. My grandfather's photo sits right above my desk. He stares down at me all day, as does the photo of his daughter, my mom, who passed uh, just a few weeks ago. And he stares down at me all day, and and I know that his his gaze is upon me. And so it reminds me at all times to keep my ethics and my integrity as a priority in all things and to know that he is always watching me. And I loved my grandfather growing up. I grew up in the same house with him and I loved him dearly. And to know that he's watching over me every day, he's watching me over me, not only to protect me, but he's watching over me to remind me that I need to keep my ethics and my integrity as paramount. And so it allows me to keep that focus.
2: I really thank you for joining us for the podcast, but I do find the need to ask you this question. Throughout the years of law enforcement, NYPD yourself, then working in psychological services for NYPD, now in private practice, working with local law enforcement, federal law enforcement in terms of psychotherapy. Can you give me one or two examples? What has been the best part of your job first? And then I want to ask you what's been the worst part of your job?
1: Wow. Okay. The best part of my job is seeing somebody come in to my office on day one in a state of absolute emotional distress, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, believing that things will never be better, and after a period of treatment, seeing that same person, you know, terminate from therapy, discontinue therapy because it's time for them to, you know, to take what they've learned here and and to go back to their lives with it. You know, I have a birth announcement of an officer's child that I keep here in my office. And years ago, an officer had come, this is going back some time now, but years ago, an officer had come in in a terrible way. And after a number of some time spent together, he eventually went back, was restored back to full duty, given back his firearms and sent back to work. And on the day that we sent him back to work, he gave me a birth announcement. It was a birth announcement of his child. And he said, you know, when I came to you, my wife was three months pregnant and I had a gun against my head and I was drinking, sitting in my car, completely intoxicated, ready to kill myself. And I made the decision to call for help. And if it weren't for you, if it weren't for the opportunity to help for people like you, my son wouldn't have a father today. And he gave me that birth announcement, and it stayed with me. It stayed with me since. and I keep that birth announcement in my office. And so moments like that make everything that's led up to today worth it, every experience worth it. So those are the good moments. (laughs) They might not sound like good moments, but those are the good moments. The hard moments are the ones that that I can't help, the ones who won't come or the ones who come because they're here on an ultimatum they're here on a second chance agreement and not truly engaged in the treatment and they come and they move through the motions and they go on with their lives and I feel like there's a lost opportunity right so I think those moments when I feel like when I feel like I, I didn't connect right when I feel like I didn't do it that time those are the hard moments watching the ones leave that you feel like you maybe didn't help fix right
2: wow have you had the experience of and obviously I would never ask you the name of losing a client that you tried your best to help an officer and it just didn't work out. When I say losing, I mean ultimately suicide.
1: There's stigma everywhere, right? And there's stigma in mental health as well. And even therapists have things that, that they feel stigmatized by and that they don't talk about. And um, patient suicide, client suicide is a horrific, horrific experience. And so, yes, I've experienced very painful moments doing this work. It's something that you carry with you forever. It's something that that you'll never forget. And and it's something that I use, you know, to try to make myself remember why I do this and and to be better with the next thing that I do or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, we talk about concealed suicidality, which is something we don't talk about a lot in psychotherapy. Concealed suicidality is the idea that, not everybody who comes to you in therapy is going to actually tell you everything that they're thinking or feeling. Many cops come in here and they'll sit here and they'll go through the motions. But when you say, Have you been thinking about killing yourself? then they say no. Sometimes they're lying, but they tell you no because they're afraid. Of losing their gun, or among federal agents, they're afraid of losing their security clearance, which is even more of a career ender than losing your gun as a police officer. You lose your security clearance as a federal agent, and it's going to take you five years to get it back. And so there is concealed suicidality that goes on. Patients will come in and not be truthful with you. Even though they're reaching out for help, they hold back certain things. And so, concealed suicidality, loss of a client through suicide, it is a terribly painful experience.
2: I close with this, an officer, male or female listening to you on this podcast right now that may be on the fence is compt- contemplating suicide. Dr. Coglin, what do you say to that officer listening right now?
1: Please, please reach out. If not to me, if not to your department's internal services if not to your employee assistance program, if not to your peer support program, if not to your chaplaincy program, if not to your your, your, your private uh, doctor, please reach out. Please call somebody, anybody. Please just have the courage to please pick up that phone because when we're contemplating suicide, we only see it through our own eyes. But the people we leave behind following a suicide we have done them damage forever for the rest of their lives. And we leave people behind us asking the question, why wasn't I worth sticking around for? And they and they hold that pain with them forever. And so please, if not for you, for the people that you will leave behind, please reach out and ask for help.
2: And so, Dr. Coughlin, to anyone listening to you right now that wants to reach you, how can they do so?
1: They can go online at bluelinepsychological.com, all one word. There's a message application there. They can send me a message. They can call me at 516-439-4441. They can email me at drcoglin, all one word, drcoglin at bluelinepsychological.com. If you go on, just Google my name, and it will pop up with a variety of ways to contact me. But certainly, if anyone has a need, please, please reach out.
2: Dr. Coughlin, I think anyone listening to this podcast, listening to you for the last 20 plus minutes, realize why you're being honored on October 23rd, because you're the real deal. You're saving lives. You're giving back. And when you are there at St. Francis Preparatory High School, this first responder Memorial Scholarship Fund 5K and Mass event, please enjoy it because you've put in the work. We thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Dominic. Thank you so much.
2: And that brings this segment to a close. Folks, if you are interested in my book on my life. Growing Up in New York City and Overcoming Numerous Obstacles, the book is titled No Mama's Boy, or My Bobblehead Doll. You can go to my website, DominicCarterOnline.com, all one word, DominicCarterOnline.com. You can catch me on 77 WABC, weeknights, midnight to 1 a.m. Go check out the Dominic Carter merchandise at the 77 WABC store from Dominic Carter. T shirts, the hats, and much more. Go to WABCRadioStore.com. I gotta make it.
1: Dominic Carter socials on Twitter at DominicTV and Facebook and Instagram Dominic Carter TV. Email at Dominic.Carter at WABCRadio.com. Until the next episode. Be well. And as Dominic always says, stay positive. The glasses always half full, never half empty. Dominic Carter City Hall. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts.